0: We're going. Okay. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Double Down WNBA podcast. Eric Nemchuk here alongside Stephen Trinkwald, as always. Uh, and Stephen, we are going to recap the 2021 WNBA finals, which the Chicago Sky won in four games over the Phoenix Mercury.
1: They did. The Chicago Sky, your WNBA champions. Uh, the collective your, as well as yours, Eric. Your, your <laughs> Chicago Sky gotcha. are our champions. Eric, you were... You were in the house tonight, uh, as you usually are at Wintrust. Uh, let, let's get just some immediate thoughts about the atmosphere and you know being there as a fan before we really get into the game. So the atmosphere was incredible. Um, I know you were you were actually at the previous game uh, on Friday, Game
0: Three. Uh, so I I would uh, the kids say it's it's lit, right? That's what everyone says. It's lit. Can can would you say it was lit on Friday?
1: Yeah, uh, Game was Three lit. was was definitely. I was it similar today? Because that that was rocking on on Friday yes. night.
0: Yes, today was incredible. I mean, throughout the playoffs, um, Chicago has really shown out. But, you know, these two last games have been sellouts, uh, obviously, with with tickets hard to find and very pricey, (laughs) people trying to resell them. Uh, But it's, you know, right away, I got the impression that it's not just people who were there just to say, like, oh, you know, I hear this guy are good. Let's go check out a game. It's like, no, they were there to watch this guy. They were excited for this, this guy. They were excited to see women's professional basketball at the highest level. Uh, and they were pulling for the sky you know, Chicago showed out for a city. This is a basketball city. Um, and as disappointing as it has been to kind of see underwhelming attendance throughout the regular season, I was equally as, I was equally proud to see and hear to be, and be a part of such an incredible crowd tonight. You know, uh, there are some celebrities in attendance. There are some, some big wigs, some, some, some major names uh, and they were into it. They were into it as, as, as much as any other fan. So it was really, it was really just an incredible atmosphere um, and, and, Honestly, I've never been a part of something like that, so it was dope.
1: So let's get into the game here. It was a a narrow Sky victory to clinch their first championship in franchise history, with Phoenix blowing what was an 11-point fourth-quarter lead. Uh, it was, you know, looking looking a little dicey for the Sky there, but I feel like, you know, they, they just always kind of had better players, with maybe one exception in, in this series, um, and they finished this game. The sky had a 97.6 offensive rating for this one, 91.4 for the Mer- Mercury. For the series, the Sky, 105.2 offensive rating and a 90.7 offensive rating for the Mercury. Uh, and Kalea Copper was named your finals MVP. Uh, a few numbers on her. 17 points a game, 54% from 2, 36.5% from three, 14 of 16 from the line, good for. Fifty-nine point six true shooting. Uh, you know, she her contributions obviously were. You know, she she was just a force in transition, a force athletically that this team could cannot deal with. Anyone that kind of had the quickness to to hang with her, Copper would just put in the weight room. And, and anyone that you know had any chance at, uh, from a strength perspective, you know, Copper was was just too quick. Not not her best game of the series today, um, but not an MVP that you could really qualm too much about. Although I do think some other players, you know, had pretty strong cases. What, what did you think about the finals MVP for Kalea Copper? Um,
0: I was a little surprised. I thought they were going to give it, give it to Courtney Vandersloot, who once again, I, I mean, she sh- shot poorly from the field for 13, but she made the clutch shot at the end of a Brittany Griner, 15 assists, uh, yet another double digit assist game in this finals. She runs the points on any player, uh, any WMA player I've ever seen. Um, She's in complete control out there. And I don't think you could... I think that was on full display once again. Uh, you know, obviously this guy... They weren't quite as dominant as they were in Game 3. It was, it was like you said, it got pretty dicey there for a while. And Phoenix gave them their best their, their best shot. But VanderSloot, you never got the impression that she was ever flustered. She was just in complete control of the basketball game. and complete control of this guy's offense. Uh, not the best offensive performance from this guy. But in that pivotal fourth quarter, I mean, they were... They had it all going, but yeah, Kalia Copper, as you, you, you pretty much summed it up pretty well. I think she's such a force athletically. Like you said, you you either need to put a larger, slower defender on her or a smaller, quicker defender on her. And she's going to have the, she's going to have some advantage either way. And I think you're just, you're just watching the rise of an extremely physically gifted player who's figuring out over the past couple seasons, really, that no one can guard her when she's on her game. And it's just about the game, slow, letting the game come to her, making the right decisions, making the right reads, taking what the defense gives her, and she's going to be able to take something as you as you alluded to on any given night. So yeah, as a Sky fan, I'm super proud of Copper. She's really developed nicely into a into a uh, very solid wing player, and she played her best basketball when it counted the most.
1: This definitely is not meant to take anything away from Kalea Copper, but I wonder if her five assists are the fewest for a finals MVP. Uh, because, you know, that's just not her role, right? She, she is not. a play finisher, and she was elite at finishing those plays. Um, you know, whether it was just in the half court, we saw her crashing the offensive class in this series, uh, or, you know, obviously getting out in transition where she was everything she was built to be, and, and kind of this team was built to be, you know, all of their you know, the sky's reputation as a transition force, you know, that's Kalea Copper, kind of sprinting down the the floor, beating her defender and beating the rest of the team. And even when there's another defender back there, either finishing over that player or, you know, getting to the foul line. Um, And and we saw that over the course of this series. And, you know, from from just kind of like a big picture standpoint, you know, Chicago just being able to play with a a space balanced floor, not really playing a ton of non-shooters, you know, outs, I mean, A. Stew and Diamond were really like the only players that you didn't have to worry about hitting threes, and those players can hit threes. But like, you know, everyone else, you know, Phoenix was worried about kind of, you know, what what those players bring from behind the arc. And this is a Phoenix team that was just not good enough defensive. Like they they were playing most of the time three good defensive players, maybe two good defensive players. Kind of how you even categorize some of these players that, that they ran out there. Usually one disastrous defensive player uh, in Diana Taurasi, who I thought, you know, had had three really bad games in the series, despite some decent scoring numbers and a couple of those bad ones. But even more so than that, Eric, like you look at the numbers and this was just an offensive loss for for the Mercury. They had a 93. uh, I'm sorry, their their big four together had a 93 offensive rating. And as a team, their, their offensive ratings game by game, 97 and a half. 103.4 in their win, 67 in that game on Friday, 67.6 and 91.4 for, you know, for a team that had a 104.3 offensive rating in the regular season. What did Chicago do, you know, defensively, or was it really just kind of this team just not really having the horses?
0: I find it hard to believe that they don't have horses. In fact, when we did that playoff preview show, the reason why we were both pretty high on Phoenix as a contender was... They had the most high-level offensive. To, like we were, we were concerned about them defensively, justifiably so, I think. But we were like, okay, as long as they've got Diggin Smith and Griner and and, and Tarazi, you know, whatever's 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 left of Tarazi, they're going to be able to put up points. And most of the time in this series, they weren't really able to put up points. In fact, I feel like this is a game that uh, Phoenix kind of let get away from them, particularly in that fourth quarter, because they just weren't able to deliver that knockout punch. We saw several, you know, missed shots at the rim. Um, Brittany Grinder had a, I mean, she Britney Grinder had another terrific, terrific offensive Gr- game. Griner she was, was a, amazing. I thought she's such a force on there. She's unbelievably skilled. But you know, they weren't able to get the ball down down her as much. I, I thought in that fourth quarter, and just making players for for to to answer your question, I think Chicago did a good job of making players who Phoenix does not want to dribble or make decisions dribble and or make decisions particularly in in lineups with both Cunningham and Brianna Turner, you know, Cunningham, she can, she can at least shoot the three, um, but she's, she's a hesitant shooter out there. Like she's not going to, she's not going to pull like, like right away and she's not going to be attacking the rim or making too many decisions with the basketball and Brianna Turner, of course, not gonna be doing anything with the ball outside of the restricted area. So when you're, when you're, when your main um, offensive threat is your center, I think it's kind of easy for the half-court offense to get bogged down when you have two players who the defense is not really that concerned about. You know, you can have three a three-headed monster, if you want to call it that, offensively speaking. But it really kind of played into Chicago's hands defensively, I think, because you saw the activity level with which this guy were playing defense for mostly the entire series, really. I thought it, that was kind of, um, they weren't really as active defensively in this game uh at least when they were when Phoenix was making their run in the second and third quarters and that's that kind of hurt this guy but then they turned up the acti- they, they they turned up the energy on defense and Phoenix just got uncomfortable i think because once again you're not worried about Brianna Turner unless she's in the restricted area you're not really worried about Cunningham unless she's wide wide open from behind the three point line
1: and, and even so more so Petty, you know not yeah, not a yeah, player who as well. is has uh what i would consider like a dynamic three point shot
0: yeah uh Vaughn, I mean, I think it was a good adjustment by Phoenix to just not play Kia Vaughn very often, but she's another player who's like, yeah, please take that shot. It's, it's, it's... And, Hartley, and for no, Vaughn,
1: if you don't mind me jumping in quickly, yeah. Vaughn for the series, one for five in the paint and four for 15 on non-paint twos.
0: Not getting it done. Yeah, I mean, that's, she's... Like I I believe I told you this off air. If, it, if a possession ends in a Kia Vaughn mid-range jump shot, the defense is, is happy. So... I don't think the Phoenix I don't think the Mercury didn't have the horses. I think it's just their person the way their team is constructed, the sky were able to build a defensive game plan and just really execute that, that game plan well. And not only you know, it was it stopping the Mercury, it was getting out in transition. Which as, as as we saw, the Mercury couldn't hang with the sky in transition.
1: And I mean I feel like so much of that was Parker who who did a great job on Griner one-on-one when she had that assignment. A lot of it was Stevens as well. A lot of it was Dolson. But when Parker was not on Brittany Griner and when she was on Brianna Turner, you know, Turner was just not able to be an offensive factor in this series. 39% shooting for a player who is 100% taking her shots at the rim. An, an even assist to turnover ratio. And, and you know, at this point in her career, bad things happen when Brianna Turner takes a dribble. It's going to be kind of a no-chance layup that... Very often got blocked or, or just kind of, you know, sailed over the rim or or just didn't really have any you know legitimate shot of kind of t- converting into points or uh, it's kind of a record scratch to stall the offense and you know I, I don't want to beat beat up too much of of you know what Turner did in this series but I thought Parker's ability to be a presence in help defense and in, in Turner's inability to really, you know, the, the best elements of Turner's game in, in this game and overall in the playoffs were just kind of finishing as a lob threat. Yeah. And, and everything else was, you know, it, it was, it was pretty rough.
0: And don't get me wrong. Um, Brianna Turner, there were some really nice lob plays executed by the Mercury today. I want to say Turner were all of it. says the, the box where it says she only made two shots. It feels like she made more than that, but they, they, that's, that's I only they
1: remember happen. two made lobs, and then she okay. missed the big one late in the game. That's true, that's true, that's true, that's true.
0: Yeah, you know, I, I think she's she's just a very limited offensive player in, in what she can do creating with the basketball or without the basketball. Um, she is very, very, very strong in a lot of areas and very, very weak in a lot of areas. And as you alluded to before this series uh, started, um, Candace Parker is one of the best in the game at playing, quote-unquote, free safety. Because she's such a high basket, she's such a high basketball IQ player, particularly on defense, and she still has the length and mobility to be disruptive on that end. So that's just a killer combination. When you factor in the length of Azuri Stevens and Stephanie Dolson, who I thought played very, very good defense for all things considered, like compared to what we've uh, expected from her. Like this guy played a very aggressive pick and roll defense, and Stephanie Dolson was, she was moving her feet.
1: Yeah, I thought she was. Uh, and, and they closed this game with Dawson. And, yeah. you know, she made some huge plays. Uh, with five fouls. With five fouls. You know, a lot of it on the offensive end, whether it was, you know, that kind of off the ball on the right wing, freeing up Quigley. Uh, and, and then, you know, Phoenix switched and that led to, Just a mismatch of you know, and Diana Taurasi just her inability to get over a screen, I I thought was really kind of what opened a lot of things up for them off ball. Um, And obviously, you know, Dolson and Quigley, their their off ball Uh, chemistry is 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 magic. There's very few things in the league like it, I I think. And you know, Dolson was able to get a layup from that. Um, Parker hit a three off of a Quigley Dolson pick and roll late in the game. Dolson had that kind of, I don't want to call it clinching, but but that very important sort of like free throw line jumper that maybe like bounced off the back of the rim. Yeah, uh, she had a couple of those. Off a of pick and roll. Yeah. So so Dolson was huge late in this game and, you know, pretty special for, uh, I think, a, a player who was, you know, involved in kind of the rebuilding of this team so many years ago in, in the Elena Deladon trade. And as a lot of these players were kind of uh, went through some ups and downs with this franchise. So for Dolson to be be on the court, you know, Stevens was huge in the series too, and we'll definitely get to to what Azra Stevens contributed. And, and obviously, you know, the Candace Parker of it all, and Vander Quiggs, but yeah, very cool for, for Dolson to be out there. And, and she really made some plays and was uh, a huge contributor on both ends. I thought in the first half, uh, Wade expanding his rotations a little bit and, and yes. getting a little bit of a stew, you know, it made a little bit more sense in the first half. On Friday, when they were up twenty, but down uh, in this game in the first half, uh, a little bit more questionable, I would say.
0: That was not great, and that's kind of when Phoenix Phoenix co- took control of the game. Excuse my speech, and excuse my my kind of a lack of voice. It's it's a little gone, as you might understand. But yeah, that that was. I wasn't sure what the strategy was there either. Um, somebody I forget I, I forget who, so please forgive me. Pointed out on Twitter, they said uh, this lineup has no sleut. Dolson, no, sorry, no Sloot, Parker or Quigley in it. Why? And I was wondering the same thing because I mean, that's, that's just not something this, this team can get away with, particularly considering what its strengths are when it comes to, you know, motion offense and playing five out as, as you've been saying. So I, I think don't get me wrong. James Wade has had an, had an amazing playoffs and he coached this team to a championship. It's this was not a case of just a stacked team carrying its coaching staff. James Wade and his, his his staff had a very very strong postseason. I felt like, but that was the one the one criticism I think I had was that the Sky kind of dug themselves a hole with that that offensively lacking lineup.
1: So before we just kind of get into a couple of other individuals and and sort of you know this Sky team as a whole uh, and, and where this franchise has come from or, or you know wh- where they've sort of arrived at. Yeah, I I do kind of feel like the Mercury. They have to feel like they they let one get away, right? They missed two blown layups. That one lob by uh, Brianna Turner in transition, and then the one blow by by Skylar diggins Smith from the left corner, tried to finish right on the right side of the hoop. About three minutes left. They're they're up five, and you know either one of those go, and it might be a little bit of a different game, Eric.
0: I think any. Eddie- time you get outscored 26 to 11 in the fourth quarter you have to feel like one got away and there was i mean honestly that last five minutes was painful i thought i was gonna vomit okay like that was it it was it was incredibly stressful as, as a fan obviously but yeah when i'll be honest this was this was not the prettiest basketball game it started out very tense and very chippy and then towards the end of the game there i think I don't know. Was Do you think it was nerves? Do you think it was just tired legs running out of gas? Because you're right. Not expecting to see Skylar Diggins-Smith miss those layups or, or Brianna Turner miss those lob attempts. But for whatever reason, again, the Mercury just could not put Chicago away. And it's not like Chicago came out on like this 14-0, 16-0 run. It was, it was steadily chipping away in the fourth quarter. And Phoenix just couldn't deliver that knockout punch because their offense suddenly went cold.
1: I think we should maybe talk a little bit more about Candace Parker's game today, a player who I think has just a, as much, you know, credence for finals MVP as anyone else you could consider here. I and, you know, she, she was huge, right? She had a great defensive game, I thought. Um, she had, you know, she put the sky on—she on, uh, scored seven straight for the sky in that—I think that was the fourth quarter. Yes. Um And, you know, they— she she was everything that this team needed her to be not only today but but you know when she was available this season from you know an individual defensive perspective a help defense perspective you know giving them kind of that one extra outlet as a, a playmaker she didn't do a ton of kind of you know I guess from what you sort of imagine a Candace Parker team to do you know she wasn't their leading scorer or anything like that but she gave you enough of the points uh, when you when you needed them and you know definitely a, a calming energy i think in this game scoring you know those seven straight to to really kind of keep the sky competitive in this one
0: the one three-pointer that she hit in the fourth quarter there that was that was that was critical because that was at a juncture when the sky really couldn't get anything going or i mean they were, they were kind of within striking distance but i think it was what was it an eight-point game a six-point game or something like that. that 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 got the sky within striking distance once again but calming is actually a word i've used to describe parker's influence on defense earlier in the season because you just don't see you just don't see her blow many assignments when she's on the floor and taking that one step further one thing i really came to appreciate about candace parker's game uh seeing it up close and in in person uh, all these all these games this season is that she is a coach on the floor she's a great communicator and even when she's not in the game, like I lost count of how many times I saw her individually coaching Azurae Stevens during a timeout or something like that. You know, you know, putting her her arm around her shoulder, you know, pointing out like this, this is this is the angle you should be taking, you know, the, or stuff along those lines. So I totally agree with that that assessment on, on Parker. She's not what she once was athletically, but you know, this team didn't need Candace Parker to average 25 points a game. And If you look at her box score, she did exactly what they needed what they needed her to do. She did a very good job defensively. She cleaned up on the glass. She made the plays when she needed to, and she hit clutch shots and and kept her team afloat when it was needing a life preserver. So, yeah, I mean, Candice Parker was, it, it was a little rough early in the season when she was injured, but when she came back, I mean, I don't think, I don't think anybody could argue with the results, right?
1: Yeah, and uh regular season and playoffs, this team was twenty three and ten with Candice Parker in the lineup. So not bad. Yeah, that that's what you expected from this team, you know, coming into the season. It it looks a little bit different. I mean, obviously, you know, going on a postseason run inflates those numbers a little bit, but you know they were their five hundred because Candace Parker missed a ton of time, right? And and that kind of threw a wrench in and everything, and obviously Ali Quigley as well. Um, anything else, you know, about this game in particular? You know, I guess we should we should shout out Griner a little bit. Just a dominant regular season, a dominant postseason, the kind of season that you know WNBA fans have really been pining for for Brittany Griner when you know she's a a popular MVP choice preseason year after year. 22 points a game over the course of the playoffs on 60% true shooting. And honestly, that even undersells it a little bit with kind of over the course of these four rounds, you know, the attention that she commanded um, and, and the game plan revolving around her much more than, than Taurasi, much more than Diggins Smith, I think.
0: Yeah, and that's that's something I, I, I've been saying that Griner forces the team to make adjustments like no other player in this league. I mean, you got to... There's so much teams need to do perfectly to deny, to keep Brittany Griner from scoring. And even then it's, it's sometimes there's nothing you can do about it. When, when she gets the ball, even like 15 feet away from the basket. Now it's basically over. Because she will put a sky hook over like like whoever's defending her and 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 swish it, or if you send a double for whatever reason, she will find the open player and, and and make them pay the defense pay in that in that aspect. So, Brittany Griner is incredible. Um, this is the best basketball I've seen her play. Just her development as a player has been fascinating to follow because you know she came into the league as this as this incredible physical specimen who her main offensive her main offensive uh, prowess was dunking. Whereas, and, and the league more or less changed the defensive rules to include defensive three seconds to coincide with Brittany Grinder coming into the league. Don't tell me that's not a coincidence, but she was viewed as a very raw offensive player. Now it's almost the opposite. She is an offensive behemoth. Like for a player that skilled to have that kind of, or for a player that big to have that kind of skill, it's, it's unfair to the defense because there's almost nothing you can do about it. So yeah, I mean, kudos to Brittany Grinder, she played nearly the entire game, 38 minutes. She was terrifying. I mean,
1: uh, a healthy Elena Delagon is really, I think, Griner's only competition for the best individual offensive player in the sport right now. Uh, And tonight, another dominant one, 28 points on 20 shooting possessions. So, uh, you know, just continues to be massively efficient. You didn't really get the help required, but this was not a loss that you could put on Brittany Griner's. You know, it, it was not a perfect defensive series for sure. You know, maybe... She respected the Azzer Stevens jump shot a little bit. You know, maybe you could say, you know, let Stevens hit a little bit more of those threes. It was not a great shooting postseason for Stevens. But, I mean, look, I'm, I'm not going to look back on this series and say Brittany Griner didn't do enough to win this one.
0: Absolutely not. No, she was incredible. Um, and if the, if the Mercury did end up winning this series, she would have been, fi- would have been Finals MVP, hands down. And honestly, I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing what Griner has for us next season. Because... I may have been I, you know, not may have been. I was unfairly critical of her early in the season, uh, you know, or, or prior to the season rather. I, I felt like you know she wasn't like the rebounding still isn't that great, and the defense you know has been. Th- there are ways to attack her on defense, but the way she carries this team offensively, and once again, the amount of respect she commands from opposing coaches in in, in game planning
1: well, without a balanced floor, mind you.
0: Right, right, right. It, like there is, as we alluded to, she is not playing with the ideal. Lineup. No matter how much Skye Smith and or how much Diana Taurasi, no matter how many points those players score, there are ways to better optimize a lineup around Brittany Griner than the, than the Mercury have done this season. But um, Griner, I'm she really took that next step towards stardom, and I think she's she's knocking on the door as as far as best player in the league right now.
1: So I, I guess we should transition to you know the kind of season recap stuff and. Um, Eric, you are a longtime sky fan. And one thing I, I just kind of wanted to maybe let you, uh, ramble on a little bit, if you would be so kind is just, sure. you know, I, I think your fandom kind of more or less aligns with, uh, Courtney VanderSloot's arrival to this team. It, it has not always been smooth sailing, I think for, for the Courtney VanderSloot sky era, but you know, th- this is her and Quigley are, are the two holdovers, obviously, from the 2014 team. Can, can you talk a little bit about just like how she's evolved since since those, like that iteration of the Chicago Sky? I mean, Sloot, over the course of the series, was just able to get wherever she wanted to go throughout the entire series. And, and honestly, this postseason run, we saw her really assert her own offense whenever the situation kind of called for it. You know, against Connecticut, it was going under. On screens and Sloot just kind of pulling up for the, the easy jump shot in this Phoenix series, I feel like it was more just kind of straight dribble penetration, you know, pick and roll her finishing at the rim. But yeah, it, the, the Courtney Evander Sloop kind of evolution, Yeah, you know, they talked a little bit on the broadcast, but from your perspective, if you want to hit on that a bit.
0: Sure. Yeah. So I've been a season ticket holder since late 2012. Sloot was drafted into 2011. So you're right. It, it it is it more or less coincides. My, my my fandom more or less coincides with her being on uh being drafted to the team. It's really been incredible to to watch Courtney Vandersuit blossom over the years because it, it it really does feel like she gets better every season. For the first few seasons, I feel like she wasn't she just wasn't being that assertive, and that's that's understandable for a point guard. You know, at, at that point in WNBA history, there weren't many point guards who ever you know got eight or nine or 10 assists a game. It was Tisha Penichero, and that's pretty much it. And she she herself was was a limited offensive player as far as scoring the ball. But Vandersud, I think when she was first in the league, she was surrounded with the type of talent that... The type of team that didn't really look to its point guard to carry the offense like Vandersud does these days. Um, she came into the league with Sylvia Fowles on her team. And then, of course, Deladon was drafted uh, later on. And she also didn't have a shooter alongside her, like Allie Quigley, at least not for for the uh, initial going. So it it did take a while for Vanessa to kind of strike that balance between distributor and scorer. I think the flashes were always kind of there, but it was just never her role for many, many, many seasons. Then maybe, you know, 2016, 2017, around that that range, you you started seeing, you know, she she cut down on her turnovers a lot. She got a lot stronger over the offseason. Like she gained a significant amount of muscle I think i want to say it was before 2014 when, when she just really transformed her body and and stopped getting pushed around at the point of attack that, that was that was crucial in her, in, in her development and as, as you alluded to just figuring out when to pick and choose her spots as far as scoring versus distributing so yeah it's it's really been cool to watch courtney Venice who kind of grow up before my eyes um she's the best point guard in the league I'm I'm not being a homer when I say that. I think there's enough evidence in her favor to to, to say that she is just a total master at the position, and um, she's an incredible basketball player.
1: Yeah, I think this series, you know, not not to kind of dive too much into recency bias, but this series really solidified. I mean, I would say kind of as of you know, let's let's call it six weeks ago, the the debate was you know who's the best point guard, Skylar Diggins Smith or Courtney Vandersloot. Right? Those are those are the yeah. two players that you would really kind of consider in the conversation for the best point guard in the league. And, you know, she drastically outplayed Skylar Diggins-Smith, uh, throughout the playoffs and in this series in particular, you know, I was expecting for Skylar Diggins-Smith to at least outperform VanderSloot, you know, in at least a game or two. And really there wasn't a single game where Diggins-Smith got the better of VanderSloot, you know, not that they were kind of matched up individually all the time, but just in terms of their performance and their impact in the game. And honestly, I thought, really game two was Vandersloot's kind of masterpiece, the game that they ended up losing. I thought that was like a near perfect game, save for a late game turnover, it, which I think is something that Sky fans have been looking at Vandersloot maybe a little yeah. bit for some of those late game turnovers. But, you know, she, she slayed that dragon, I think.
0: Listen, any player who has the ball in their hands that much is going to end up making mistakes with the basketball. And I guess, it, I, th- I think it just so happens that like the magnitude of situation, you know, of course, going back to the hand be heave and and you know, this guy have not had extensive playoff success until this season, or maybe going back to 2014, but, um, the mistakes tend to stick out more when you don't win the championship. And that's, that's, that's what happens. Um, but yeah, slay the dragon for sure. Like, like I said before, she's, she's in complete control of the series for for, for the vast majority of the series. And I think, you know, this season was, was a struggle for Vandos at the beginning. Um, it seemed like she was just kind of off kilter for the first month or so because this guy, you know, they were missing so many players. And, and she's she's an emotional player. You know, she she takes a lot of this stuff to heart. Uh, just speaking as a fan, you know, someone who uh, sees this up close and, and, and personal. But once everything kind of settled back down and and, and really gelled, you saw Courtney Vandersloot at her best throughout basically this entire postseason, but in the finals in particular. And, and and she proved why, you know, once again, she's, in my opinion, the best point guard in the WNBA.
1: Yeah, that early season stretch where I think a little bit too much of kind of the late game scoring burden was placed on. I mean, the ball is in her hands either way late in games a ton, but when you kind of know that you know it's the shields and copper and a stew do fall kind of closing games and, and all these other players are out and the the spacing isn't great and you're really the one that's kind of being looked to 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 score the basketball late with kind of a little bit more of a scr- uh, cramped floor. It, it just wasn't an ideal role and that no. the you know, it wasn't really championship level talent that that she was playing with, uh, you know, kind of to close those games. Uh, and you know they got their good players back and it it looks a lot different now. So
0: it looks um, better. It, teams look better when they have better players, you know basically what you're saying.
1: Uh, yeah, that that sounds about better. right. <laughs> um, so did you have anything in in particular just to say, I think it was kind of just good to see Quigley. It felt like she was really kind of struggling this series. Uh, but she really you know 26 points on you know 15 shooting possessions or whatever it was today uh she she got it going from uh from three I don't even have it in front of me but you know she hit five threes today that might be more than she had the rest of the series because she had been struggling so bad over the course of the series from deep you know it was pretty effective I think as a two point scorer but you know just her her evolution as well from sort of you know, obviously not you know, on the fringes of the league, we can say to sort of the the sixth woman and then even this season kind of coming off the bench uh, pretty much right up until the playoffs started. And, you know, obviously I've been kind of championing all, all season long how important she was to this offense, you know, maybe not as important as I was saying she was. Um, but, <laughs> but nevertheless, you know, it it was cool to see her get going and she, she hit some really, really important threes in this game down the stretch to kind of ice it.
0: You could argue that like Quigley was was the sky's most important player today, I think, because I mean, yeah, just the timeliness of those shots. She is so dependable with that. And she's the type of shooter that she, you know, she never gets too high or too low. And I, I think that's, that's critical that, 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 kind of mentality for a shooter. I mean, obviously you have the the beautiful jump shot form and the versatility and all that stuff, but it's, it's the mental game too, for her. I mean, she is completely unflappable and regarding the two point shooting. I mean, you start you post up Sophie Cunningham today. You, you started coming. What what was that that move? It, it almost looked like some sort some sort of hook shot, like like a like running to her right. Uh, you know what what play I'm talking about, right?
1: Uh, I believe it was over Brianna Turner, maybe. Yeah, I,
0: when I saw, it, I was like, whoa! I, I did not know Ellie Quigley had that in her bag. That was that was incredible. But yeah, no, I mean she she's the beast. She's such an incredible scorer, and it it seems like she's basically ageless. You know, I mean just just the kind of shape she's in, uh, and and how she's able to continue these. These massive shooting performances. Um, yeah, she had five. She had five of this guy's ten or seven three pointers today.
1: And look, this is a, a pretty obvious thing to say, but she is, you know, the kind of panic three point shooter that that really, you know, changes the the sort of geometry of a defense, right? She yes. coming off those Dolson screens, she's commanding two players because you don't give her, you, you don't want to give her that little bit of space, and that leads to an open layup by somebody else. So yeah, we you,
0: we talked about this, I, I think, on the last episode, but. The way you need to defend Ellie Quigley, your communication needs to be on point every single time, or you're going to get burned somehow. You're you're, you're going to either send two people at Quigley and leave the rim o- or and leave the the lane open, or you're going to send nobody at Quigley and you're going to get a three pointer in your face. So, yeah, her 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 off ball movement I think doesn't get talked about enough. Sorry, sorry, Curtis, I, I had to say that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, she it's it's just one of the many things that makes Ellie Quigley such a, a special player.
1: So I guess one other thing I definitely wanted to hit on before we kind of wrap up here is, you know, what, what Azra Stevens meant to this team uh, as someone who was really looking like a difference maker last season in the bubble before kind of things went awry for Chicago. You know, just her her length uh, as a defensive presence, even her length on the offensive boards and, and you know, being kind of someone that you, you don't want to necessarily switch against because she can just kind of score over opposing uh, smaller players and we've been saying for a long time that she is kind of the an important sort of swing piece to this team's championship ceiling and I, I think we really saw that on display these last two series she was uh, a huge factor in how they were able to slow down Jonquel Jones to whatever extent they slowed her down and, and just kind of you know muck things up overall offensively for the Sun she was able to hold up physically well enough from a strength perspective something I, I was kind of unsure about uh, you know, and as one of the few people who can give Griner problems with her length and her wingspan, and just kind of contest Griner's shots at the highest point, you know, she she did okay there, and that that allowed Candace Parker, I think, to make her biggest impact defensively, which is like we've been talking about uh, all along, like as a roamer, as a help defender, kind of playing center field, you know, not really guarding her less offensively capable assignment, so she can make sure that. You know all the other leaks defensively are kind of uh, sealed, um, and, and she didn't shoot it particularly well uh, in this series or in these playoffs overall. Five for eighteen going into the game today, um, only only over one today as well. So you know the the three point shooting, but she she was standing out there, and Phoenix was respecting her as a floor spacer, um, and she was really really vital to you know they even with Candice Parker and Candice Parker kind of bringing everything that Candace Parker was supposed to bring to this team. I don't know if they get it done without Ezra Stevens.
0: That's a good point. You made several good points there, so I need to address them. Uh, Stevens, I think last season when they brought her in, I kind of viewed her as like the missing piece that obviously didn't, didn't turn out as expected. And earlier in the season, I feel like Stevens, it took her a little while to get going because um, that's going to happen with a player who had her seasons essentially ended several years in a row by differing lower body injuries that's tough that's tough to come back from both physically and mentally and of course with with parker in the fold you know Stevens' role changed um and she was kind of on like a minutes cap for a lot of the season She, you know she was on the on the stationary bike always always, always trying to stay loose uh, when she wasn't in the game but that paid off that that that's str- that long-term strategy by james wade to limit Stevens' impact in the regular season really paid off because as you said she did a pretty good job defensively i think in at the start of the season she was struggling defensively as well particularly particularly in defending the pick and roll where i think just her her length kind of just made up for a lot of that but you can tell like it, she wasn't on the best communication with with whoever's on the perimeter that tightened up a lot in the playoffs i think and guarding Brittany griner and guarding john cole jones at least as the primary defender is kind of a thankless job but you're right i mean i think azure stevens did an admirable job what she at what she was asked to do and to your point offensively she wasn't hitting the jump shot but that doesn't mean she wasn't making an impact because how many open lamps did she get off the pick and roll today at least two
1: I mean her her impact you know I don't think she's necessarily a Dolson level or a Quigley level screener no no but she she's made so many plays happen for herself and for others uh with her screening over the course of the last two series uh it that, that's a great point I'm glad you brought it up Yes.
0: So yeah, Ezra Stevens, it's, it's a nice, it's a nice little, little redemption arc for her after her bubble season ended prematurely. And she was kind of, you know, it took her a while to get back to where she was at. And I'm not sure if she's ever going to get back to where she was when she was first drafted, at least athletically speaking, because of these extremely unfortunate injuries she suffered. But I mean, she started and played a key role on a team that won a championship. So honestly, you can't do much better than
1: that. And I mean, this is only her age twenty five season, you know, and and she is one of the few players uh, that this team has under contract for next season, her and Parker and uh, Dana Evans, I-, I guess are kind of,
0: all right, that's our core. Uh, you yeah. <laughs> uh,
1: your 2022 Chicago sky folks. Uh, but I do think, you know, in-, in all seriousness, there are probably some players that saw significant minutes today that might not be a part of this team next year, but we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we get there. Right. Uh, yeah. sh- Chicago has some things to figure out over the off season, but you know, now's-, now's not really the time to, uh, to kind of parse through some of those things. But Anything else you you kind of wanted to hit on, just as you know, uh, an observer of this game, someone who is in attendance, you know, not just this season, but but for many seasons, uh, you you know this team better than just about anyone.
0: Yeah, thanks. I, I'm just so proud. I'm so proud, dude. And and for for those those of us those of you listening who are thinking, wait a minute, like this this isn't the content that we're used to. We try. We really try our hardest to be objective uh, about our analysis and our our discussion and stuff like that. In fact, I think that's one of the things when you, when you pitched this show to me that you were kind of, you were kind of big on, you're like, we need to do a show. That's that's objective and, and fair and and, and unbiased and viewing it from an analytical perspective. So that's going out out the window for right now. So I appreciate you, you you giving me the floor here as a fan, it's been a long time. um, And I'm not even really in a position to say that because like I said, I got season tickets in late 2012 there have been sky fans who have been there since the beginning in 2006 that saw some horrible basketball teams absolutely dreadful some horrible basketball being played in arenas that were not suitable for any professional team um and then you know dealing with the off-court drama for many years with with players coming and going and wondering if the sky will ever have enough to compete for a title and this season it was it was really special because I think, you know, when Candace Parker, I don't want to single out any one player because there are so many players that made this, this, this team function, but when Candace Parker said she was coming to play in Chicago to win a championship, I think you're going to look back we, on we that.
1: Were, we were, not to interrupt you, but we were so excited to record that episode afterwards. So excited.
0: So excited. Well, she, she, she's your favorite player. She's one of your favorite players, right? She's she's what got you in at the WNBA.
1: That's true. That is that is correct. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I just knew it would make for a great content. I mean, it's just really exciting to see that level – uh, of play even like you just look at who she was as a player and what this team was missing. And, you know, few, I think few acquisitions in sports really kind of, you know, the glove fits the hand so perfectly for kind of what a player brings to an already really good team that they were missing, you know? Yeah.
0: And and that's how you see it. Yeah, but actually what I was going to say was, and I totally agree. With that, and with You know, I do. What I was going to say was you're going to look back on this and I, I think you're going to look back on this moment or at least Parker coming to Chicago and then of course winning the championship months later as the moment where the Sky became a franchise that finally got respect. For so many years, it was nobody wants to play there. Their arena is lousy. Their ownership is cheap. um, They have a coaching carousel.
1: Maybe one of those things are still true.
0: Maybe one of those things is, to, is, is still true. I'm not going to say which one, but um, but this, this is a perception changer, as you put it, not just on the court, but off the court as well. So it's a building block. On, on, teams have to start somewhere on their way to becoming a strong franchise. And when you see an elite player who has the respects of many of her peers and the next generation of players. You know, there are there are players in the WNBA right now who look up to Candace Parker saying like, I grew up watching her. So if you see a player like that come quote unquote home, Naperville is not in Chicago, home. Um, you're going to look at the franchise and say, that's pretty legit. That's pretty cool. I want to play there, you know? So barring some disaster knocking on wood this offseason, I think you're going to look back on this in the WNBA history books as a pivotal moment for the Chicago Sky franchise. It, as you said, everything was set up perfectly for her, both on and off the court. So that's that's something that I, I really look back on and I say, you know, wow, they really did it. They, they really came through Candace they came through under promise. Courtney Brandes, who played amazing basketball. Kalia Copper continued her ascent to stardom and pretty much every rotation player played a key role on this championship team. Like I said, there was no one player carrying this team. And that ultimately is what made this championship so special. Beyond, you know, the oh it's the, they they haven't won since 2006. Um they beat the team that beat them in 2014, you know, they finally got got over the hump. It's a team that the nucleus is very easy to root for and there's no there's no one player who truly stands out in her stardom. You know what I'm saying? It's a complete team, it's a fun team to root for, it's an easy team to root for. And the way that Chicago really embraced them when it mattered the most, it made me so proud.
1: That that uh, that was really great, Eric. Um, Thank you. Anything else you wanted to say? Uh, just kind of about, I don't know, individual players, anything like that. But before we wrap <laughs> up, I think you know we we've pretty much covered it all.
0: I think we're pretty much through. Okay. Um,
1: I, I would be remiss, I guess, if I didn't mention, as I did uh, on Twitter, that you know, this is now four straight WNBA champions that have played kind of a five out style, you know, without that yeah. sort of back to the basket, can't really stretch the floor, uh, you know, have one kind of space killer. Um, you know, you have to go back to, uh, the 2017 links as, as the, a team that, you know, and I, th- those teams you could say played kind of three out really with Brunson and follows as more, yeah. uh, rim or, or paint oriented offensive players, but you know, the, the league is evolving and, uh, I, I don't really see that changing anytime soon. Um, you know, spacing makes things easier for your, your offensive, uh, players. You know, it, it's easier to, to play basketball. Well, when you have guards that can score, when you have bigs that can space, the floor. Um, but again, this was also, you know, I think in my opinion, much more of a, uh, a series one by the sky defensively as, as well, you know, dynamic, um, bigs that that can kind of bring different elements to you defensively. Not, not many one-dimensional players. No, that that's a great point and um you know with with Phoenix's kind of lack of depth at at the wing uh Chicago really never had to make that offense defense uh decision, no. you know, in any of these uh series or kind of rounds that they played, right? It was uh it was a pretty easy choice to to be able to leave Quigley out there. Um, and it paid dividends because she was really good in this game. It's,
0: I mean, Ellie Quigley probably could make a shot from the bench if she wanted to, but it, it wouldn't count. So it's much easier. Yeah. If, if you're playing Allie Quigley for 37 minutes, that's a luxury. That's a luxury. Cause I mean, I mean, as good of a shooter, she is, she's a liability on defense. And the fact that I just got to say this again, it, it really, really sucks that Kia nurse was injured for this series. I, I feel pretty bad, honestly. Um, cause I mean, that's not, you don't want to get injured right before you go to the finals. That's, that's horrible but um given that the, that the mercury you know didn't have much depth out there it, it did definitely play into this guy's favor for being able to play quickly for that many minutes
1: all right well uh oh
0: yeah and, and, and one more thing sorry yeah, no, i please. i to your point on, on five up basketball also the handle of one of our dedicated listeners peter kilkelly Shout out, to P- shout out to Peter. Uh, I yeah. don't know
1: if he's a dedicated listener, but th- thanks well, for tuning th- as in. Long as long as he do. listens
0: once, like, you know, the bar is pretty low for us, I think. so. Um, <laughs> yeah, 5 up basketball, I-, I agree. I think that's not going away. And it's very interesting, Stephen, because how many of the league's best players are considered bigs?
1: Most of them. Yeah, and most of them kind of in the, the grinder fouls mold. Yes,
0: yes. Granted, there are... There are incredibly skilled bigs you know like deladon or or, or stewart or and, i mean you could even say griner right but um a lot of very very strong back to the basket post players low post players centers whatever you want to call them and they they have their teams have not been getting it done in, in, when it matters most so that that maybe that's maybe that's you know just just correlation not causation but um i agree i mean the game is evolving and you know one more thing going back to what you said about you know watching courtney Patterson evolve those teams that she initially played on, that's back when the league um, didn't really emphasize the three-point shot as much as it did today. So I'm I'm not sure if it's like if it's changing at the at the pace that the NBA did during the three-point revolution. Um, you're you're more of an NBA guy than I am, so maybe maybe I'm wrong on that. But um, it's, so it's not like you know someone like Steph Curry came to the WNBA and and changed it overnight. But I think it is trending in that direction where the three-point shot is being emphasized more and more and more. Skilled bigs are being emphasized more and more and more. Um, two uh, paint-bound big lineups are being emphasized less and less. So it's, it's, it's interesting to see, um, you know, to, uh, where the league is going to go in that direction. You know, we have a really, really strong draft class coming in in, in 2022. Um, and there are a lot, One there are some bigs. we will bigs, talk about very soon. Yes, we will be talking about that. Um, there are some bigs. Who excel with their back to the basket in that class, but there are also a couple bigs who excel with a face up game in that class. So I'm particularly interested when you when when you bring up that point about the evolving style of WNBA basketball. I'm interested to see how that that affects those players' draft stock, because what was what was once highly highly coveted in a WNBA player. Granted, if Brittany Griner was entering the draft in 2022, she would still be the number one pick. Don't get me wrong. Um, but but what what's being coveted is changing. You know, teams are looking at this and then looking at their rosters and saying, OK, you know, this hasn't been working as well recently or or these teams have have had a blueprint blueprint for success with this specific skill set with these these dynamic players. We're going to look for those. We're going to look to build our we're going to model our teams off of those championship winning teams. You know, so, yeah, that's that's an interesting, interesting point. And uh, as a fan, I'm just happy that, you know, my team is on, kind of on the cutting edge now.
1: All right. Well, I think that'll do it. Eric, once again, uh, congratulations to you. Congratulations you. to uh, all the Sky fans out there. Congratulations to the players themselves and to, to James Wade and his coaching staff. It was, uh, you know, probably not the season they envisioned when uh, when they got Candace Parker and when they were coming into camp. And, you know, I'm sure they, they looked great and, and they were really excited and things always go sideways a little bit uh, over the course of a basketball season. But uh, What a season for the sky, Uh, your 2021 WNBA champions. I think that'll do it for us. Uh, We'll be back in the off season for for content uh, to kind of get the WNBA fans through the the harsh winter months here. But um, thank you for anyone who's listened over the course of the season. Uh, You can support the show by subscribing, rating, reviewing on Apple. Uh, Spotify and Google podcasts. You can follow us on Twitter at Double Down WMBA, at Nemchok E for Eric, at Trinkwald for myself. Um, and yeah, congrats again to Sky Town.
0: Thank you so much, everybody. Take care and we'll see you soon.